three, two, two one. one. Let's one. go! Skits <laughs> is back. I'm your host of the PBE podcast, Troy Tittlemeyer, and joined by, of course, the sidekick, the man, the co-host, Matt the Skip Scipio. What is going on, man? Dude, not much, man. Not much. What you got going on? Well, what's, I'm just wondering. life of T-Roy? Oh, gosh. Dude. One thing after another, man. It's all good, right? It's all exciting, expanding into metals and mining and oil and gas thing and, you know, the podcast. Like All this is, is really, really cool, but wow you know it takes toll you got to manage all that stuff you got to keep it all you know rolling in the right directions and that's you know that's where i spend most of my time uh and then the kiddos man are you kidding me celine she's basically like a 21 year old now i don't know if you've picked up on that she's just walking around just like in conversation like oh yeah dad like oh yeah is that are you upset about that (laughs) <laughs> like you're two and a half you're two and a half she doesn't know like really what she's asking but she like yeah. hears you know like, but, uh, are, you, uh, are you okay is everything okay dad is everything okay <laughs> and i'm like wait a minute everything's fine 98 percent of the time everything is totally fine but she'll pick up on the anomalies for sure and be like what's going on <laughs> and that's then, awesome dude that's awesome Joe dude, and how, how's bro. little JJ doing? Man, he's got thighs like you, dude. He's ready to squat houses too, man. He's going to be a full big, ride scholarship. Get him, get him in U of A. He might. <laughs> hey, he's going to be a big kid, guaranteed. <laughs> guaranteed, he's going to be a big kid. He is. We call him Thumper. And my <laughs> friend was like, "Don't do that. You give him a complexion if you call him Thumper." I'm like, "That's his cousin's Thud. My brother's c- kid is like just." L- timber you made out of wood you know what i mean he's thud <laughs> and then i got thumper so it, it goes uh, it works but, it's a dream team dude but that mustache looks like uh, is that like to check the temperature on the coffee before you before you dude, take it's, a sip it's just a, like it's just a, like you know save food for later you know keep are my you, upper lip warm are you like doing the curling out thing what is happening dude, with this I, thing i was i was trying to for a while then i looked at it looked a little too questionable so now you I'm look like, like a villain that, man yeah. you, you look like a comic book villain <laughs> <laughs> oh man dude. Hey, Dude, this but, is the moment, man. It's it's that remote work. It's you know it allows me to you know grow out a ridiculous mustache. Now that remote work, you're doing like mapping, right? You're you're doing uh, some engineering yeah. mapping stuff. Yeah, as like mapping engineering work for a company that's doing autonomous trucking. So that's wow. that's like the yeah that's that's the gist of what I I do for the time being. Right. So I help build out the I help post process data and build out maps that these trucks actually use uh, right to on. follow. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. The wow. technology's come a long way, but it still has like some some major things that it needs to like humps that it needs to get over before sure. it becomes like an actual thing. But sure. I can see I can see it in the next, you know, five years being an actual like, you know, implementing this on the road commercially. Like it's, really? it's crazy. Yeah. I, I question the it, GPS accuracy. That's my thing. You know what I mean? It takes, unless it's like brand new technology in like the first six months of my cell phone, it's like yeah. great accuracy. I'm like, whoa, I'm on the second level of this restaurant. It's like <laughs> telling me the second level. And then like a year, you know, six, eight months later, it's like, you're in this general area. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, like yeah, I don't know exactly yeah. where you are. <laughs> if, if that's the GPS accuracy that's driving around big rigs or, you know, driving me around, I don't it's know, a, man. It's a little more, it's a little more accurate than that but 
I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. It knows where you are on the road. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Left lane or right lane? No, I, hey, yeah. that's cool, man. That's really cool. You're on the front lines of that technology and that whole idea. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, man. And then uh, also big news, moving to uh, Denver. Yeah. Wait yeah, a minute. Man. I thought it was Boulder. Well, it's northwest Denver. Oh, cool. South, like like Lafayette, Louisville area. Okay. So it's it's like 15 minutes. It's closer to Boulder than it is to Denver, but it's still technically like Denver. Ah, got you. Well, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. that sounds cool, man. You excited? Dude, I'm I'm stoked. I'm I'm ready to get back to the mountains and start looking at good rocks again. What you know, Monty's yeah. right there. He's gonna be. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm swinging by first day, uh, man. <laughs> man, I'm so jealous, man. I'm so jealous. That is awesome. That sounds like it's gonna be a dream, dude. That's gonna be cool, man. You'll be busy with work. We'll be busy with the podcast. We'll do, we'll be busy doing all kinds of th- different stuff. You know, with Magma Kim's, you know, second headquarters basically right there. Oh yeah, that's that the game plan, dude. Hey. It's getting clo- it's getting closer, getting back towards the rocks again. Right. I love trucks, but <laughs> the rocks are where my heart are. Right. Uh, heart man. is. Heart is. Ah, dude. Well, I'm glad you made the show, man. I know it doesn't happen all the time, and the schedule just is what it is, dude. I mean, that's that's what happens with this remote way of doing things. And who knows with this Delta variant, man, and how things are moving and shaking with conventions and potential. You know, I heard Schlumberger's pulling out of a one of the shows. You know what's going to really happen here with with how this goes you know and and mm-hmm. nobody nobody knows nobody knows all we know is yeah. that you know it, it's here and and we're going to manage the situation and and it so we'll, we're, we're available to do virtual we're available to do in person we're going to be in person in midland even if they shut it, if they shut it down completely then we'll do it virtually, right? You'll be from Cali, mm-hmm. I'll be from here, we'll do that show virtually. But I doubt that's going to happen in Midland, right? If anything, it's going to yeah. be limited uh, amount of people and stuff. So we'll still have a physical presence, be able to do some podcasting and and highlight some very interesting data that is coming out of the Permian. That's a that's a game changer for you know how we're 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 performing right our performance mm-hmm. in oil and gas and getting this fluid out of the ground and this uh volatiles out of the ground efficiently with less money you know that's changing too and that's getting exciting and so we're going to be talking all about that obviously with those guys catching up with people out in midland man so uh i'm looking forward to that but let's oh yeah let's pass the mic man let's talk about this show we had jesson bradshaw energy ogre doctor us up man i mean instantly we started i went back to blockbuster with emmett smith i mean it was (laughs) this show is everything that i thought it would be man and i gotta give it i gotta give jesson just a minute to talk but you know steven is who set this up gosh that guy really saw the vision on this he he kind of understood pbe and he understood you and said man i think you guys make a great show so a shout out to him for reaching mm-hmm. out and doing what he does is, is putting shows together and stuff that guy's great it was great to work with uh jesson please introduce yourself and and let us know what you thought of this show yeah so uh, i'm jesson bradshaw I'm the ceo here over at energy yoga um I, I'd first say I'm just super impressed with Matt's stash. I mean, that is, if I've ever, if I've ever seen a Colorado stash, I mean, when I think of like a dude that's going to be like, up, you know, just, you know, some, some just, you know, staring off into the distance with my elegant, just manly man stash. I'm like, of, of course I got to come on this show. <laughs> and so, you know, just been, you know, quiet oh, here. Uh, and excitement uh, over the course of the podcast, but no, it's been it's been a ton of fun. Uh, you know, 
spending some time with you guys. And, and, you know, I love this format. I, I love the format of, of this being long form and being able to really talk through a lot of these things. You know, some, sometimes I wish I had, you know, two or three hours when I have as much fun as I have, you know, talking to you guys and uh, feel like, feels like I'm not boring anybody. Cause this is uh, sometimes talking about electricity is about as exciting as going to the dentist, <laughs> not to, uh, you know, cast any dispersions or aspersions <laughs> on any dentist. I actually had my, I, I, I gave a local TV interview one time and I said that, and I literally got a text message from my dentist and said, that's not nice. So, I was like, oh, man. <laughs> so you know, uh, but no, this me. is tons of fun. Right on, right on. Well, thank you for educating us, man, on just kind of the basics and thinking about it at a much higher level than I ever thought about mm -hmm. it. And, and then me having that kind of personal connection of being, we both lived in Midland. So that was cool. That whole turn, you know, how that came full circle, my understanding of options when it comes to a deregulated, you know, electrical managing uh, platform, or, or I guess a system, right? Texas operates with, through a non-regulated uh, electrical managing system. Is that kind of how you would explain? Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, what's happened is on the wholesale side, uh, there's been a lot of innovation with the, all these new power plants. You know, if you can, if you can get the permit, uh, in most places you can build, uh, and, and try to try to compete with the local utilities out there. Yeah. And so we, we did, we've done that here for quite a long time. And, and that's actually pretty commonplace around, all over the U S the difference in Texas is what's happened is we've opened up the competition at the retail level. And so what we did, is we broke right. up the utilities and split them up into different components. And, uh, and so that's what we have. So it's the vast majority of the population centers in Texas, you know, Midland, Odessa, um, the greater uh, Houston and Dallas metro areas, Abilene, uh, most of the Valley as well. So Austin, wow. San Antonio are kind of the outliers. Brownsville is an outlier. Um, El Paso, where I grew up, is an outlier. Right. Uh, but uh, for you know, it's a, the vast majority of the population centers in Texas are, uh, are are in these areas that are open to competition. Anything in particular that dropped out for you from the show that uh, you you know just keep someone hanging on and, and make sure that they listen to at least this part of the show? You know what I mean? <laughs> from Jessen, your suggestion, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I just like I said, I, I love being able to get a little bit more into the weeds on you know some of the stuff that we talked about. Uh, you know, I think some of the stuff in, Fe you know, the February freeze and the knock on yeah. effects of what happened with our mm -hmm. power infrastructure, you know, that's been discussed a lot, but, uh, you know, some of the things I, I, I don't think I've heard a lot of the things that those of us in the industry talk a little bit about. So I was really happy to be able to, uh, spend some time talking to you guys about, about that as well. And I, I think, you know, you what you were talking about in terms of the emergence of these technologies and material sciences is probably the single largest um, play in this space, in the electricity production space, in my mind, over the course of the next 20 or 25 years. And so I think that, you know, some of what we talked there in terms of advancements in energy storage, uh, you know, how we get the cost of productions lower. And, you know, I, I don't think we're ever going to get rid of oil and natural gas sure. in, in the way we industrialize, if nothing else, and having carbon inputs for, uh, all the other things that we want to do uh, yeah. from high order materials. And uh, I, I'd love to hear, you know, y'all's take and enjoyed hearing what y'all had to say about, um, you know, how, how this whole thing is unfolding from your perspective as well. Right on. Skippo, what do you got, man? I was going to say, well, I'm glad you touched on the ice storm because that, that was a big one. And then 
in my opinion, my, my personal favorite part was when you touched on the effects of renewables as far as, and compared those to as far as at least conventional or like the, the, the traditional like way electric uh, mm-hmm. electricity is generated and like how that ties into the infrastructure and, you know, talking about the whole and all of that and the future of that. Right. And what, you know, batteries and, and how, you know, at the end, it looks, this is the path forward. I, I really, really enjoyed you touching on all of that. And then lastly, and I think the the most important thing for all the listeners is actually understanding your electrical contract <laughs> and making sure you're not freaking overpaying. Like, I mean, like I, like you said, like not people are just unaware. They just, yeah. you know, it's like, this is my electricity provider. This is what I do. It's like, no, look at those contracts and like, see like, Jeez. Oh man, am I paying three, two, three, four times as much as I should be paying right now? Especially, I mean, summer's almost over. Well, it's better late than never, but still like, yeah, take a look at those contracts, like save some money. <laughs> Seems like it stays summer in Houston and Dallas for a really long time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man, that was uh, two great summaries of the whole thing. I'm not going to go long. I think you know I learned that you're you have Energy Ogre has the ability to really take a look at the complexity of all this thing and really help, really help educate really help provide tools for people to make their own decisions. At the end of the day, it's real. You know, everything that you guys do and what you provide a service for is a very real and needed thing. And I'm just, I'm grateful that I learned about that. I'm grateful at 35, you know, or about to be 35, still 34. uh, You know, I'm learning about that. And that's something I'm going to take forever. I'm never going to miss the boat on that. I'm never going to think, wait a minute, there's another option. Let's avoid the thousand dollar hit this summer, you know? Uh, You know, so I, I learned a ton. I learned a ton and, and tying it all together, uh, like you said, with, with the idea that the electricity, it, it needs to be instantly available and, and instantly uh, used. You know, all that happens in the speed of light, electricity, you know, and, and managing that and managing ourselves to better manage that, to help the system if that is that is that needed or how can we avoid, you know, bad situations in the future because we know this better we're thinking about it better and and without question this show allows me to think about electricity and how every how we use it but how everybody can think about you know how it's actually you know moving and and it's such a fascinating subject we could have dove down to so much different stuff maybe we can I mean, I really, really enjoyed the conversation. And if it does poke its head yeah. back up to bring somebody, maybe do a panel, maybe have you and some others that really want to talk about it in more detail. Yeah, we would, I, we would, we would engage in that opportunity for sure. Oh yeah. Ah, uh, we are now start officially starting the conception part of the PB podcast with Jessen Bradshaw. From Energy Ogre. Uh, sir, please introduce yourself real quick, w- your position, and then I want you to immediately start telling me about where you went to school, the degrees you got, you know, these people that were in your life that made this, you know, this, uh, this influence to take you in the direction that you went, right? And why you are Energy Ogre and why, you know, Jessen is so important in our understanding of electricity, the usability of it, and maybe the future demand supply of it. Uh, so Jessen, please. Thanks for joining us. Man, you're like puffing me up, you know, the start with the sir <laughs> thing. Gosh, well, that's a, a that's a hard, a hard thing, a hard thing to lead in on. But uh, yeah, my name is Justin Bradshaw and I'm the uh, CEO here at Energy Ogre. 
And yeah, it's been a fun ride. I've been uh, in the electricity space, specifically in energy, uh, going back to when it basically uh, unbundled or opened up at the federal level back in the mid nineties, 1994, 1995. Whoa. So cowboy been, era, uh, man, that was. was cowboy football or what did Super Bowls? That's true. Well, I was actually, I went to school in Dallas. I went to a real small school, university of Dallas and the old Texas stadium before they tore it down and moved, you know, elsewhere, right. that was actually on university of Dallas's land. So is that right? Was, in Irving was, or whatever, Irving, Texas. In Irving. Yeah. So it was Ooh. right there at 183 and uh, 114. So, it Dude, was, what a great was, time to be going to school. Oh, my goodness. I, I used to run into, like, Emmett Smith, the blockbuster. What? Uh, <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. This just this is just <laughs> the most ultimate 1990 story ever. <laughs> you, you just said you ran in. <laughs> I love this so much. Like, that sentence, that sentence alone. <laughs> <laughs> I ran into Emmett Smith at That's a blockbuster, man. <laughs> That's oh the my. 90s. The kids yeah, do I, not understand that one nowadays. <laughs> I used to run into him all the time. I used to wow. run all the time watching movies, apparently. And I used to run into <laughs> Jason Garrett at the uh, Beltline Mall at the movie theater all the time, too. So he was the backup at the time. Absolutely, he was. He back was. in the basement. But, uh, Longest coach in Cowboy history, by the way, too. Yeah, you know, it was funny. I always, I always wish that I could have played, you know, like everyone, you, you want to play something. And I'd get in line behind Garrett and be like, I could do bigger than me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I got to, I could throw this. My dreams evaporated. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. You're just going to be ready to walk on with the Cowboys. I was. was (laughs) But instead uh, you went energy route. Instead you started figuring out, wait a minute, they're they're deregulating energy and electricity management. That's my understanding of it. Can you, can you explain that? 1994. Yeah. So, so what happened is, uh, you know, we all have experience with some of these industries uh, adding competitive pressure, right? So there's been uh, this ongoing notion of, you know, opening up, deregulating, liberalizing certain, um, you know, areas of our economy. Like we're, we might be in the younger age, but I can still remember uh, when the airlines opened up, you know, it used to be that people would get all dressed up in their Sunday vests and it's super expensive to fly cross country and, you know, now folks are in flip-flops and t-shirts and it's like a big deal, but the costs have come down because, you know, we got kind of the, we we let the free market get in there and figure some of these things out. And, you know, when I was young, it was a long time ago. uh, I remember if you called somebody long distance, your parents would be like all over you, like, who are you calling? You know, because it'd be like, you know, it depends if it was international, like 25 cents a minute or something crazy. Yeah. And so today we don't even think about it. We, we opened up in the telecom space and liberalized all that. And just a ton of innovation and investment came into that space. The same thing happened in the wholesale natural gas business, as you're aware, with 636. And, you know, us getting rid of the uh, splitting the pipelines up from the LDCs and, and, and the way that kind of happened at the wholesale level. I don't think quite as much actually trickled its way through to the, the retail level in natural gas. Uh, but mm. the same thing happened in power. So the idea was, uh, you know, one of the big tenants of when, if you guys remember when the natural gas markets started to open up with, with 636 was open access transmission or open access uh, capacity on the interstate pipelines. So, you know, they make their capacity available. They have tariffs, uh, you know, you're not protecting your own turf. And there was a similar idea 
at the federal level uh, with two orders, 888, 889. So they basically said um, you can have market-based rate authority for independent power producers. Uh, and then it also opened up the transmission for open access transmission. So if you built a power plant, you could actually sell to not the incumbent utility who you're behind, but you could procure transmission that had to make that available if it is available and sell to a neighboring place. So it allowed more innovation, allowed more people to get in to start building. Wow. And, uh, and doing some neat things. So it's the very beginning of trying to get rid of this just stodgy regulated structure that really mm-hmm. uh, is kind of the antithesis of innovation that's you know really what we needed. Yeah. So yeah, moving along from like this bureaucratic structure where right. every little thing that you tried to do, you know, it would be leaps and bounds before you can even like scratch the surface at a small problem to like now this industry where solution, hey, for like, everything. like, yeah, like, hey, let's go guns a blazing. Let's try to make this, let's try to optimize this, but let's also try right. to make some money at the same time. Right. So at the wow. federal level, opening all these things up and then, you know, there's a little bit of a patchwork quilt in terms of how that's happened down all the way at the, uh, at the residential or retail or the industrial side. But, you know, remember that in the regulated business, uh, that's kind of a totally different business model. Most of those are, they're gonna get a guaranteed return on their invested capital. So they kind of have a, an, a, an incentive to increase their invested capital base. Um, Cause you know, they're gonna recover their costs one way or the other and they have a monopoly uh, with their wow. with their customer base and folks yeah. can't they don't really have another option. So super simple uh, economics, right? You're like, we're going to make yeah, this right. much money guaranteed, if not a little more for a long time. Right. No one can get away from us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're stuck. Yeah. Pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh, however, that two things that are really interesting, and I don't, I don't want to distract this from going where, where we were hoping it, I don't know where we were talking about it going. But when you said the, the similarities in, in the gas uh, contracts and what was going on in the natural gas industry and there's a similarity with with the electricity the usage use of the electricity there's a similarity there i instantly started thinking in the 90s for texas was the most abundant source or used source of energy natural gas for sure and okay. to this day it still is the primary uh, mover so probably still the primary fuel for power generation so it's natural gas and then what's second what's third fourth fifth how does that go well, now we're getting into solar, solar, I'm sorry, uh, renewables, wind uh, in particular. We have such a huge nameplate capacity. In Texas, you know, we kind of have a portion of Texas that's electrically separated from everybody else. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of nuclear plants here. Uh, there's one um, down in Metagorda Bay, and there's another one. Uh, so that's South Texas Project, and there's Comanche Peak. So there's four individual units. Um, it's not, not, you only have two two of those stations, but they produce quite a bit of electricity. Um, each one of those units is, you know, over, I think 1200 megawatts a piece. So that's a big piece. Yeah. Uh, we used to have quite a bit of coal. Um, a lot of it was lignite, you know, the brown dirt that we, a lot of it was mine mouth wow. lignite here. And some yeah. of those plants are slowly over time getting, getting uh, shuttered <laughs> as, as you might wow. as you well imagine. It's, it's amazing that they can burn that brown dirt, but they sure do. So almost yeah. no calorific <laughs> value associated with it, but you know. I need to get a tour 
on the brown dirt smelting <laughs> plant. Man, I got to see what that looks like. That is, uh, it'd be insane. <laughs> big scoops. Like a lot of these these uh, plants for my mouth. So they literally had these like gargantuan building size scoops and they just like drag them and they pull all this lick down. Oh, it's an amazing thing to see. Gosh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> all right, That's let's get away from that. Away. We got plenty of natural gas. You know, Texas obviously has more than enough ability to create the energy it needs daily, right? Is is that obvious right. in the it's state not, of Texas? We're not, yeah, we're not fuel constrained, generally speaking, mm-hmm. unless you get to, you know, situation like we had in February where we have wellhead freeze. Yeah, I was, I was, that was what I was going to ask. Yeah, the ice yeah. storm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we're not fuel or Texas is not fuel constrained, but you know, a situation like the ice storm happens. Do you think that's just mismanagement or what, what do you think is, what, what was the root cause of that from an expert's perspective? Yeah, no, I think there's probably, you know, like any kind of major failure like that, it's really hard to say it's just this mm-hmm. You kind of have to have a whole series of cascading things that work together to get an outcome. That's like way, way unexpected yeah but i think the first and most important reason i think culprit there is just the absolute weather mm-hmm. you know it was so cold i mean anomalously cold i don't know if it's true i, I, I remember reading it in the reports at the time then i went back to go find it for something else and i couldn't but they were saying that you know we were meet, we were breaking low temperature records that had been in, in place here in the houston area since like the 1800s the polar so vortex just, man yeah, we right. had the Arctic atmosphere basically swung down. Boom. It did this big swoop down. Boom. And all that cold-ass air came with it and everything. Boom. It swooped down and went right back up. Now, is that a 10-year anomaly, 20-year anomaly, or is that going to be an every-year anomaly? That's a good yeah, question. So, That's a serious question. Well, it's just, well, it just seems as though that kind of uh, event was outside the planning scope and the planning expectation Sure. Uh, as as a, a you know, mm-hmm. it's a six sigma event. You know, it's a very unlikely uh, probability wise is very low. Yeah. But what mm-hmm. happens is is it it identified some some weaknesses that I think everyone knew were there, but they just had never kind of materialized. You know, as you as you all know, the natural gas infrastructure. You know, a lot of our gas that we produce in state. A lot of it's down in South Texas and down along the Gulf Coast. And obviously we have all the shale gas, uh, you know, more in kind of North Texas and we have all that perm gas. But, you know, everything here is kind of set to go up the interstate pipes, right? So all of our gas is really set to go up through into the mid-continent. Some of all that gas is set to go up into the eastern seaboard. If you look in the gas infrastructure in North Texas, um, you know, there's not as it's not as robust from an infrastructure perspective as it is, let's just say, down here in the Houston area. Mm. And so, what we have is we have um, you know, a lot of power generation that's on those uh, on that infrastructure, and we have this weird situation where a little bit limited infrastructure. We had wellheads freeze offs. We had issues associated with folks getting their uh, folks with electric compression being able to get compression online to be able to you know, inject their gas into the intra and interstates. And so, you know, in North Texas, we have this problem where the natural gas plants, the generation plants are competing with the heating demand for, you know, the homes. And we had that situation in a, in a couple of different parts of the state. So it's this little bit of a feedback loop 
do you use the gas to build uh, to generate electricity or are you using the gas to run through into uh, home furnaces so it's a it's a real-time kind of an issue to contend with it seems to me so we, we've had that issue i mean we've wow. seen that in the past uh, that was uh, very similar to some of the problems that we saw in 2011 where we had some of the rotating blackouts and it was around the time that the super bowl was up in arlington oh, uh, if you man. guys remember that um, no, so is, that, oh is that, that was, when the lights went out with uh the 49ers and ravens game in the middle of halftime or whatever well, I'm not that, sure if it, I don't I think it was, I don't think it was that morning. One. It was rotating, uh, but it was in February, I think, of 2011. So yeah, well, who it was, was right playing the Super Bowl in Arlington in 2011? No, that was a uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium in New Orleans. Got it. Damn yeah. it. Thanks, Google. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you, Google. <laughs> but you know, so we we have that, and then you know, we have the weird situation here too, where the Public Utilities Commission in Texas has oversight over the electricity infrastructure. So they tell the power plants what to do but they don't regulate the natural gas business here. The railroad commission regulates the natural gas business. And so there is a little bit of a regulatory gap as well, where one, what's critical infrastructure on the one side, you know, it's, if, if you're a, um, a natural gas producer and your, your electric compression is not designated as a critical resource, you get it interrupted. Well, then all of a sudden all your supply can't make its way, you know, into, into the uh, transportation infrastructure. So, there needs to be better coordination. I think that's. I think there's going to be a lot of lessons learned out of all this stuff. But, uh, but the, so, you know, I'm sure there'll be books I, and books and written and yeah. studies till the cows come home. I mean, I, you you can say you prepared for possibly cold weather, but no one could have prepared for that duration. I think that was kind of the shocking part. Was like, oh, this is like two weeks in, and we're we're still like the lake. The pond next to my house is still frozen at like this it golf was, course. Uh, <laughs> it was definitely uh, extreme. And, you know, remember the, the guys are, when you're building power generation here or the stuff that was built in, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, they don't expect it to be, they're not planning for it to be Wisconsin-like conditions. And yeah. so you're not building your boiler feed pumps and all this other stuff and insulated uh, housing. I mean, tonight, 100 times out of 101, you never have a problem. It's just, it's, it's not something that folks uh, really kind of thought about, I think uh, as much in, in the place that we saw it too was, you know, unfortunately for a lot of the renewables generation, there are technologies, the de-icing technologies and things like that, because, you know, there's wind plants that run in Alberta uh, in February without, without any problems because they're, they're set up to do that. And, and, and most of the guys that built uh, the wind here in Texas, the developers of those wind, wind uh, projects, didn't uh, build any of that winterization into their stuff either. So it's, you know, kind of across the board for everybody, but I will say, I think I'm hoping that there's some attention spent on how the, how the local wires companies actually went through the process of rotating customers because it was very disorderly from the outside looking in. Um, there's some better use of technology that they probably should have thought about ahead of time that can use. Uh, that's I got already a, at their fingertips. I got a wild story for you, I think. Okay, so I do something stupid as a geologist. I decide that I'm going to get in the oil and gas business and start an oil and gas company. I did that in outside of San Antonio. So then I go, well, better go put my nose on this thing to figure out what's really going on on this lease. I live in Arizona. I don't live in Texas. Uh, I go, all right, dad, you're retired. You got a box bed full of tools, some beds. <laughs> I said, we're loading up. I need your help. Let's go take a look at these wells. Let's go take a look at this lease. 
it was the week of the freeze. We, we got into Midland on ice, stayed the night there, left on ice through San Antonio, somehow unscathed as I'm sliding literally down the interstate, wheels locked up, following a big rig doing the same thing. It was gnarly. Gnarly. And I'm like, I'm, me and my dad are on walkie-talkies. I'm like, I'm sorry, Dad. <laughs> I did not. I really didn't know I was going to put you through this kind of stress. But anyway, we got through it. We fought through it. The, our Airbnb was right next to uh, Lackland Air Force Base, and that's the only reason we actually had power the whole time. Everywhere else was losing power. It was all random. It was weird. And so we would go out, try to get groceries. It was chaos, chaos. And it was literally an ice skating rink, like ice skating rink, dude. The cars, everybody moved on ice. It was crazy. And they, they, <laughs> the Burger King line had 50 cars in it. It was crazy. And but what happened after the freeze? Because we were there through it all, thick and thin. We got through it. Got to the lease. It was like thermofrost. It was crazy. I mean, I was dealing with just chaos. And uh, and and a couple weeks later, we get the power figured out. CPS comes out to give us our power. Right? We get CPS primary lines get electrical to the well, so the wells pump on timers. Very important. They finally come out after all this freeze. And this guy's an older gentleman. And clearly experienced, and he's he's just like taking a breather with us, basically. And my dad asks him because I'm in the middle of trenching the lines, keeping the well. My dad stops and goes, "Hey, what? How was that freeze? You know what happened there?" And he just unloads the clip and tells us the whole the, his insight of being on the boots on the ground. And he said that the chaos in the rolling blackouts and why they couldn't figure out what's actually out of power because of damage versus what's actually out of power because someone purposely turned it off to save the infrastructure was a supercomputer that was running an algorithm and they lost control of the algorithm is what he claimed they lost control of what it was doing and it just started doing it and they all stood back and power was going off here it was going on there and they didn't know how it was making that decision but they knew the algorithm was trying to save the system Run it so you don't blow the system. If we if we overload, we got to do this. And they let the algorithm did it. It did it, but they didn't know. So they were taking phone calls of things that were damaged, actually, because the weather caused damages. And people going, the power's out. Why is the power out? And they're chickens with their head cut off. They're going to places and going, it's turned off because, so, you know, this the machine's turning it off, people. I can't. I have no control here. He said there was crowds in the street. You know what's going on? <laughs> well, it's true because we're just. You know, I think we take for granted in the U.S. It's almost always on. I mean, right. I can think of in the you know twenty six years I've been in this business. I can think of two localized blackouts in the eastern U.S. I can think of uh, two total blackouts in the Western United States, this issue in Texas, and then the one we had rotating blackouts in 2011. That's not a whole lot. When you go to other places in the world where they, it's just, it's amazingly difficult to keep the lights on with the reliability and, and more importantly, on the cost-effective basis like we do. Wow. It's, it's an unbelievably challenging job. Um, and it's it's an amazing feat of technology and engineering that it's like you're literally keeping like a thousand plates spinning at the same time. And Whoa. it's not only can they not fall, they can't wobble. So it's, it's a, <laughs> wow. this amazing kind of a thing that happens. And, you know, for most people like it's, hey, man, I just want to turn the lights on and, and just make sure it works. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah. 
Wow. Wow, what an interesting anomaly. Do you think that story's pretty true as far as like his his understanding on the inside was like, yeah, this thing was just turning things off and and we didn't control it. It was and we didn't know why it was making those decisions or when. Like like it was they lost communication to the controllers and the algorithm was just running internally and they were just kind of dealing with the response. Do you think that's true? You know, I don't know how, so the way this all came down is that, so ERCOT is a state grid operator, and at least as I understand it, and what happened is, is they're responsible for the overall reliability, and so they're saying, hey, these power plants are, are we're getting calls, these guys are not able to come up, or these, these ones are coming down, and so what they did is they went out to the, the local wire, every area has a wires company that's responsible for, like, delivery to the meter, Mm-hmm. And so they basically told each one of these areas, like in North Texas, Encore is the transmission distribution service provider. Here in Houston, that company is Centerpoint. Uh, City Public Service of San Antonio is a municipal utility, so they're their own thing. Wow. Uh, Austin Energy is its own thing. But they told each of them how much load they had to shed. Uh-huh. And so it's up to those companies to figure out how they're uh-huh. going to do that. They, they just uh-huh. got to get there. And so, you know, I don't know how CPS, you know, how, how those guys actually met their requirements from a load shed perspective. You know, in the old days, you know, if you ever went into uh, these uh, control rooms, it looks almost like, you know, mission control for NASA, but especially before we split the whole thing up, right? So you'd have all the power plants and there's all these little spots and there's what? red lines and green lines. And it's like this huge, it literally, it literally looks like mission control, right? And what, what they see is they've got the transmission infrastructure, then there's another separate line that has a distribution infrastructure, what lines are working. And so in the old days, if we were needing to isolate or we had a problem like that, they would say, okay, I need to open up this particular circuit on distribution. I'm going to black out everything downstream of here. So it was, it happened at kind of the tree branch level, if that, if that makes sense. But in most of these areas now uh, in the competitive market, at least in Texas, behind Centerpoint, behind Encore, almost every one of these uh, customers has a smart meter or has, uh, you know, one of these meters that they can turn on and off remotely. Um, oh, wow. Okay. So, so there's now an ability as opposed to turning things off at the branch level to actually build a system and build a process in my mind, at least where you can actually run through real rotating outages, you know, if that makes interesting, as opposed to doing more of a scalpel versus a hatchet approach. And I think that's one of the things that, that I'd like to see come out of these lessons learned of how, how do we plan for this in the future? So. It was interesting to hear kind of the, how you did the analogy, the branching and stuff. It's like the light switch or the, you know, the breaker to the meter. Right. Bang. You know, you, you can do it at all different levels. So at, in your opinion, as we switch into the drill down segment and uh, the conception was just so cool in so many ways. I basically, <laughs> your credibility was your story of running into Emmett Smith at Blockbuster. <laughs> I, at that point, everyone on the call knew that you were like as real as it gets. <laughs> I'm yours. So we didn't, get, we didn't get a dive down into your career, but 
<clears throat> the way we talk, what we talked about, and I think the development into the drill down, which is probably going to take a, te a step back on the technical side and start looking at some of these images and just explaining these critical points of the electrical system. You know what, how it's made, how it gets turned into electricity, how you deliver it, how you store it. You know, I'm, I'm really interested in, in to hear more information specifically on those. You know, the infrastructure of this stuff. Um, but man, drilling down after all that. Um, I think my question was now that I've lost it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Smith, that's what happened. Oh, I had you in that, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess then, unfortunately, yeah. Let's just uh, let's get started in the drill down. Let's let's dive into uh, kind of where things are at, and uh, and we'll just we'll we'll take the conversation where it goes. Sure, you know, I, I think one of the things that we try to do at Energy Ogre is, you know, a big part of our mission is education. Um, again, because our, our power infrastructure, our electricity infrastructure works so well, and it's pretty, pretty inexpensive, uh, relative to other stuff that we buy. We just, we, we really do take it for granted. Yeah. It doesn't kind of show up on a day-to-day -day basis. It's not on a whole lot of people's radar screens. Um, you know, I know there's people in all different parts of the country that listen to this and some of those areas might have, you know, retail competition and some, other, some other areas may not, but Think about like in your in your neck of the woods with APS. Let's say that all of a sudden, uh, you know, tomorrow uh, the, the the legislature there and the, and the governor signs a deregulation bill, and there's 30 different providers of electricity that you can choose from at your house, and some of them want to offer you free nights and weekends, and some of them want to offer you a solar plan, and some of them want to offer you like wow. uh, free with a nest. You know, there's just all these different plans, and so. What we, what we saw here is that, you know, we are almost 20 years post deregulation. The rules were set up here to be extremely customer focused. And what we, we kept finding is that, you know, folks are busy. They're busy with their day-to-day -day lives. They don't really kind of fully understand how electricity works. Right. And if you mm -hmm. don't really understand it, it's hard to make a good decision. Like, you know, you would think if I'm going to go get a car loan, I'm going to look at the APR on this loan versus another loan yeah. or, you know, on mortgage <laughs> rates, if I'm shopping for some of that stuff, but there's no real APR equivalent in this stuff. And it's, you see people advertise stuff and you're like, that sounds like a good deal. Or you'd say, Hey, do you have a, what's a good company to buy electricity from? Wow. And so, so, you know, people, I think, you know, granted we're way better off than, you know, almost any decision you make is going to give you a better, better outcome than where we were in the old vertically integrated days. Right. So, so it's not it's not all bad, um, but there's there's an optimization that can certainly be had there. So, so you know that's what this business is all about is you know for us to really try to manage our customers' house like they're our own house and yeah. let them get their time back. So well, it's important. But, but a, re a big go ahead. It's important to manage that stuff. It's important, I think, to actually take the time and realize, you know, when am I using all this electricity? How could I be more efficient with the energy that I have access to? I mean, if you keep that light switch off, it's probably going to allow you to have it on longer. You know, like uh, we want to be efficient. We want it to always be there. We want it to be reliable. We don't want to just blow the grid. Uh, but I mean, you got Motel 6, they say, keep the lights on for you. <laughs> They're just going to keep it on all the time, you know? So if, if it's to be more efficient with our energy use, that could be very profitable, or at least maybe, uh, allow us to be a little more predictable about what is the best source for that energy demand. 
right? Is it the solar? Is it the, you know, what are we going to do? How do we supply these folks with the best way, most efficient way to give them reliable, sustainable electricity? Do you need to know those details from the end user? Or do you think there's another level that you can manage that situation at that, that keeps it all very efficient? You know, so the, the answer is, I think it's really hard for, you know, uh, if I weren't in this business and, you know, if I were, uh, you know, doing anything else, electricity and how I use my electricity, it just, it can be too complicated too quickly. And so there needs to be a level of automation that gets brought into this entire process. It's no different than like in this office building that I'm sitting in today, you know, there's a controls package that optimizes when it brings up, you know, the air conditioning and when these chillers run and it turns lights off automatically and it figures out when people are here and it runs this schedule and, uh-huh. you know, does that for water and everything else. And I think those are the kinds of technologies we'll see as they, as they kind of, uh, as this whole thing emerges, this is what we, I see uh, over and over again is we're not really inventing new technologies. What we're doing is we're inventing applications of existing technologies. So we've always had the ability, like SCADA is a great example. Uh, you know, the selective control and data acquisition, when we have, uh, we have something out in the field and we want to control the output of a power plant remotely, well, we can do that through, we know what its output is and we can change it remotely. We can, we can remotely run some of these things, you know, like in, in wells, I'm sure many of your listeners, uh, big production areas, they might have an RTU out there that sends information back, a remote terminal unit that sends information back. So this communications idea of interacting mm-hmm. with a controls package and demand, that's nothing new. It just has been expensive because that's expensive infrastructure. Yeah. Well, t- today, you know, the cost for us to build communications infrastructure through Wi-Fi to devices in our homes is very inexpensive in comparison to like building this whole, uh, you know, communication infrastructure that was done around some of this utility stuff in the past. But it, the the administration of all of it, I think, will be too complicated for an individual to keep track of all the inputs and outputs. So there's definitely, I think, going to be an automation there before getting people like, everyone's like, what did that dude just say? <laughs> but, <laughs> calm down, settle down, Francis, uh, let me tell you. Uh, I, I, think, I think one of the things that's important to understand is we think we know, uh, I think as the as average consumer of electricity, I think most people think they know a little bit about the way electricity works. But I, and they think, you know, electricity and wholesale power doesn't work like anything else. It, it's actually not akin, I mean, in anything else, like if you were to say, hey, we're going to get gasoline supplies. Well, you know, if you know that you're going to have a big uh, summertime driving surge season, well, folks that are uh, the guys that are the distributors, they're going to increase the amount of uh, gasoline supplies that they have in storage so they can send it out to jobbers uh, to, to refill the service stations as that demand is increasing. So they're building up an inventory in advance of that, and they manage around inventory. Yep. But electricity didn't work that way at all. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, it's produced, distributed, and consumed instantaneously, right? It happens at the speed of light. So, so people think about, like, one of the things that we heard here around the freeze was, well, how in the world can we be out of electricity? They knew a week and a half ago 
that this was coming. Well, we can't store it up and we can't build a power plant in a week and a half and we can't drill new wells. So some of it just is, it kind of is what it is. It, it happens to you and you have to manage around this the best that you can. So that's one of the places I think people get a little confused yeah. is this is a the, the ultimate real-time balancing type act. It's a high wire act that occurs, you know, constantly. And so this is why the automations and, and us taking our efficiency to the next level is going to be really important, especially as we're adding more renewable energy into the equation that it doesn't produce it when you're asking it to produce. It yeah. produces what it's available to produce in response yeah. to, uh, you know, how, how the sun's shining, how the wind is blowing, uh, how much water you have behind the dam. So, you know, it's, it presents a lot of challenges. They're not these one size fits all solutions. Right. Not, not to cut, not to cut you off, Justin, but I've, I've always wondered this myself, just like you said, because electricity it's created and consumed almost instantaneously. So there's always, you always have to, in my mind, this is how I think it works as a, someone who's not an expert at all. Sure. Uh, you need to create more than the demand just in case there's a spike in the demand. Uh, how much energy on a day-to-day basis is lost? I know that's like, that could just be just like not quantifiable (laughs) at all, but like, yeah, if, if you're, if this like nuclear plant, like you were saying is producing this many like mega kilo, how many, ever many Watts of energy a day, uh, and only part of it is being consumed. Like, cause yeah. So how much is actually being lost from like a percentage wise, because it's not being automated. Whoa, and right. we're not so, as efficient. Right. So it, it doesn't quite work that way. It's close. Okay. Okay. So what, what happens is, is the, actually you can't overproduce electricity or the frequency would go high. Okay. So you, you actually are always producing plus or minus exactly what's needed. But the way you build the reserves, yeah, it's, it's like That's it's theoretically, insane. if you move your, you turn on your light switch, yeah, some power plant somewhere or all of them are moving a tiny little bit to accommodate that change in supply. There's a little bit of buffer that happens around frequency, but they're trying to maintain 60 cycles. That's the standard of what we do here in the U.S. That's insane. But you're, but oh you're right. Goodness. There has to be a reserve. There, there, you have to be able to instantaneously pick up the demand that's needed. So the way that's actually done is if I've got a power plant that can produce hundred megawatts, you know, I might be actually producing 80 and keeping 20 megawatts of that in spinning reserves or in, in the ability to pick up or move down. Now I can go, you know, mm. pretty easily from 75 to 85. So we have swing, swing capacity on the power plants that are online. Some of them like nuclear facilities, they don't run that way. They run flat out, you know, 24 hours a day for 18 to 24 months at a time if they can do it. So, but, but yeah, we have, and that's the real challenge because, um, you know, a lot of us think, well, yeah, we want as much, uh, you know, renewable on as we possibly can. But some of these other power plants, they're really made to be the most efficient at their full output. So if we're forcing them to back down, you know, to 70% load or we're forcing them to back down to 65%, well, they're not as efficient. They, wow. they start to waste fuel. No and, kidding. You know, yeah. And so this making a hole for some of these other renewables, there's actually an Make, incremental cost associated with doing that. Making no a hole. Making a hole. How did that, that concept's just driving me crazy right now. We, we, we backed off. 
the thing that was there, reliable, it's good to go. We, it can do this much. It's efficient. It's, it's built to run this way. We said, now let's back that off, that ability to do that, so we can provide an opportunity to provide an opportunity for the renewable. What are you calling it? Sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. Their fuel is free. So they come in at their actual cost to produce is relatively small. But there's definitely a penalty that everybody else suffers for that, right? So there's a consequence Mm. to making room yeah, for those lower cost yeah. resources to run. Wow. Mm. But Ripple I mean, effects. in in turn, right? I mean, there is now like this whole, like you said, but now that just is another opportunity to optimize that that resource sure. for the most right. part, right? It's right. just now it's just instead of making this work as like, you know, not like more a synergistic relationship. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, historically, what we had was we had a lot of power plants that, you know, have a predictable ability to generate electricity. We know what they can produce on a maximum basis. We know how many hours it takes them to get from cold to hot. You know, if I push the button, how long does it take to producing megawatts for me? We know how much they can swing around. And so we have a pretty good idea of what our supply situation, we have a relatively non-volatile supply scenario and demand can be all over the place. You know, we can expect it to be super hot today, rain comes through and all of a sudden demand evaporates. We could have it be another situation where, uh, you know, we expected rain to come through. It didn't, uh, loads really go way higher than what we thought there were. So we have, we've always had this volatility around the load side of the equation and every utility everywhere deals with the change to, to their, expectation now what's happened with us putting a lot more renewable capacity into the systems in places like texas where it's a very large percentage of our installed capacity well now we've introduced supply side volatility into that equation as well so we used to have you know much more predictable supply and Uh we're adding very low variable cost, new unpredictable supply or less predictable supply and it just puts more pressure on the traditional power plants because they've got to make up for uh, you know some of the changes in predictability of the other uh, supply resources, but they also have to make up for some of the unpredictability in the demand side as wow. well, like they always have. Well, how, how what do you think the effect of all this rain is on Houston? You're getting pounded on right now. It looks like and sounds like uh, what how, what kind of stress is that you feeling in, in Houston right now? Well, you know we. Uh, you know, generally speaking, we're better off having slightly lower loads than it's, it's easier for us to manage uh, having to produce less electricity than having to produce more than we can. <laughs> so, so that's a, that tends to be, uh, you know, you'd love it. You'd love for it to come through exactly as you expected it, but uh, it's a little, little bit easier to manage having loads mm. come in lower, but yeah, it's, it, it definitely, it starts to swing around on things, you know, today, like today, we have a tremendous amount of wind capacity, you know, way higher than normal as well. So now we have to accommodate lower demand, higher wind output. The rest of the traditional, uh, you know, the combined cycle fleet uh, have to be able to manage around, uh, you know, uh, what those guys are producing. So mm-hmm. it's it's another, it's just more operational difficulty. And what it really means is I think, uh, you know, we I hear a lot that, you know, people talk about renewables, as you know, hey, we could go straight renewables today. It's just a failure of imagination or it's a willingness to do it. 
um, but that's not really reality. Um, we, we need to have some kind of real storage capacity, whether that's in battery technologies or some other kind of a kinetic storage that allows us to uh, you know, bridge some of this gap and, right. and mm-hmm. to, to convert some of these intermittent resources into more predictable resources. Yep. That's ah, a great way to segue, I think, yeah. into the completion part of this show, if uh, if we can. You guys want to wrap it up with anything else on the drill down? We're, Let's roll. We're rolling forward. We are now officially in the completion part of the PBE podcast with Skippo, Jessen Bradshaw. Uh, I've, I've been doctored up in so many ways. All my different thoughts that I had in the show, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And now I'm thinking, you know, that you, you ended it by saying – uh, the drill down segment, you ended that by talking about how if if we have a better way to store or transfer this alternative energy, then we're we're moving in the right direction. And at the same time, this graphene, graphane, and this you know superhero of of battery technology is starting to surface. We're starting to really better understand this thing, and we're starting to find deposits of it where we had a lot of it. And it can replace potentially lithium or something like that, right? The battery technology could actually advance at incredible 10x, you know, the, the abilities of this stuff. It's incredible. It's a really, really interesting stuff. Graphene, graphene, how that works. Two, you know, only 2D, two-dimensional structured mineral that we have on the planet that we know of. It wasn't discovered until 2007. It moves energy faster than ever. You know, it's an, it's an atom-thick structure instead of a three dimension kind of like going through a styrofoam or something like that so it's just incredible think about so we have we have something going on here our investment to throttle back on the uh, the nuclear or the natural gas and open up this void to uh to let some alternative ideas in here and to start working towards can you have a zero fuel energy i like the way you put that zero fuel energy now the amount of fuel that goes into actually making the components that's right? a different story different story yeah. this is you're talking about no you don't <laughs> you're not filling up with gas at a gas can you know what i mean like there's no fuel going into it, it's just the sun and the wind got it i like that from that point moving forward and this idea that we might have this material that can get a lot better at storing and transferring electricity um, you know, is, how exciting does that sound from your perspective, maybe in the next 10 years of something actually developing that does this 10 times better than any known material? But I think that that's absolutely the right place to be thinking, because I, in my mind, the next 20 years, at least in the electricity space, is a question of advancement of technology and material sciences, because... It, as if you think about it as an economist or on economics, solar, wind, these other types of technologies, they have a small cost. They may have a major maintenance accrual per megawatt hour that they produce, but their fuel is free. So it kind of looks like telecommunications where the cost to provide uh, you know, data transfer is almost nothing because all the investment was in the capital up front. Wow. So it's, it, it seems to me that in the long run, what should happen is that these renewable technologies in conjunction with some kind of an energy storage ability, those should win because it's a function of the, as you get economies of scale and building those things, you do, you have massive invest in, uh, advancements in material sciences that, that increase the efficiency of producing those 
those uh, power plants or those solar panels or those wind farms or that those, that tidal generation or whatever that is, if you can harvest this wind this energy for free, then it's it's not a there's no variable cost. You're not dealing with a fuel aspect to it. It's it's exclusively the capital cost of building it. And the operation. And we get better and better at that. We get better materials and better things. It should win. It should always be cheaper than pulling coal out of the ground. At, at some point, it should get to a point where it's much more efficient. It'll win on economics. Yeah. But I, I think it, it, it places a huge importance on continuing to uh, really focus time and effort on uh, material sciences and the advancements of these technologies, the application of these in practicality. So, I, I mean, that's where I think this whole thing is going, at least in the electricity space in the next 20 or 25 years, is it's going to be kind of a race to how do we how do we store energy at the at the local level? Okay, so maybe we have a lot of volatility. We want to keep doing it the way we're doing it. Well, we can solve that by storing electricity uh, on the grid scale, or we can start by figuring out how to make people use electricity a little bit different, and maybe they have uh, some storage capacity on site, and they can handle swings. Uh, they can make up what they need to make up for some period of time, and if so there, there's, a, there's a lot of ways I think this can get solved where it's a, it's a function of the economics winning. And that's wow. the exciting thing is that right now, that's exactly what we're kind of creating the environment where innovation will win. That's one of the things I love about energy is, you know, I was doing some back of the envelope. I think in 2020, if my, net, my math is right, I think that uh, in the U.S. we spent somewhere we between 400 and 500 billion dollars on electricity in 2020. So if you could just get a little bit more efficient, you find a better mousetrap. There, there's a lot, even if you found 1% efficiency, a half a percent, a tenth of a percent, That's right. you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. And there's, as long as we make the doors open where you can, we really foster innovation. Wow. Uh, I think it's, it's an amazing time. Wow. You get me excited about yeah. energy ogre. You're getting me excited about what you <laughs> what you got, what you did, what you created. Did you create this? It's like a, a way did. to you did. We did, yeah. I, I, I kind of came up with the idea. This is one of the things that I had learned. I, you know, I don't think that we were sort of smarter than the average bear. What it was is there was a problem that consumers were confused. Uh, every other thing that people were doing in this space makes more money than what we're doing, <laughs> and uh, you know, no one ever. Uh, really wanted to fully align themselves as a fiduciary for the consuming public. And so it's a, it was a hard technological challenge for us to, to build all the uh, computation infrastructure to do all this. So it was, a, it was a tall task and there wasn't as much money in it. So I think everyone uh, decided they were going to go work on things that made themselves more money or easier to do. So but we, that's exactly what we did. It's really cool. It's really cool. What I want to do, actually, if you don't mind, is play your doodly on your website that explains what Energy Ogre is. I want to play it for Skit so he really understands you know, what you're delivering. But before I play the video, I wanted just a quick elevator pitch from you. What is it exactly that you want people to understand when they go to your website? It's... Uh, Everyone, I think, can get a little bit overwhelmed with all the different choices. I mean, there's over 130 different registered providers in the in our market, and at any given time, there might be two or three thousand different plans. 
And so every one of our customers, because uh, everyone's metered their own house, they all use electricity different uh, than everybody else. Even if you have, you're in a master plan community and you have the exact same model as your next door neighbor, you're going to use power differently. And yeah. so that means that, you know, it's a very high likelihood that the right plan, the right solution out of a, you know, hundreds or thousands of different opportunities, yours is going to be slightly different than the next one. So you that's what we're, we're there to do is to just fix it, take care of it, make it as simple as we can allow uh, our members to get the full value out of the you know competitive market. And that that's what we're trying to do on a day in and day out basis. Okay. Uh, here we go. Roll it back. We all use electricity every single day. It's an essential part of our lives. And in Texas, we have the freedom to choose from many providers and plans. But with all these choices, why do we seem to get slammed? <laughs> Look at that guy. That's me. <laughs> Your rate may be too high due to hidden fees, complex offers, and can skyrocket when your contract ends. Some electricity providers count on this. Energy Ogre is breaking this cycle and avoiding these traps for our members. Our systems actively monitor thousands of offers on the market and find the one that best meets your needs. With your preferences in mind, we enroll you in the correct plan with the best renewal cycle and maximum savings. We stay on the lookout for new offers and rates for your account every day after. Energy Ogre will let you know if it's a smart decision to leave an existing contract early, even factoring in potential cancellation charges. Wow. We are only paid by our members, which means our sole priority is you. Our prices and processes are transparent. For a low monthly fee that's far less than the money you save, you always know that you're getting a fair deal at a fair price. We keep your information private, safe, and secure. Energy Ogre is the beginning of a simple, successful electricity buying experience with a satisfaction guarantee. Thank goodness we found you. Let's start saving right now. Man. I okay, I just realized something. I honestly just realized something. So an old training partner of mine, we were discussing this because his contract ended. Uh, and I think, I don't know if he had Ambit or I forgot what provider he had, but his electricity bill just skyrocketed. And my old powerlifting coach actually recommended Energy Ogre. What? Hey. Yeah, I'm yeah. not kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I am not kidding. Jesse. And yeah, he yeah, and then he got his new contract and he was saving a ton of money. I I don't know what he he was in one of those deals where like what? after the first year the rates I don't know if they like doubled or tripled, but it was something absurd. And it's just if you're not aware and cognizant of it, it's just like you get trapped. All of a sudden you turn your AC on and like the next month it's you know, wow. you're paying like two, three hundred two, three hundred bucks. It's yeah. just absurd. That's when people find it is yeah. what happens is they get to the summertime and it's, you know, out of sight, out of mind that, you know, it's going straight to your credit card. You never even see a bill. And then you look at it and you're like, wait, wait, what? So you use twice as much electricity and you pay twice as much on a very, you know, your, your cost per kilowatt hour double. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, it's, it's, it's very obvious. And we use a lot more in Texas electricity than most of the other parts of the country, but you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's no different than, you know, should you look at your car insurance or, you know, all of us have optimization to sure. do with these other yeah. things, your cable, your, are you in the right, you know, cellular telephone plan? It just, we just get busy working on other things. And, sure, and for yeah. us, we decided to put our stake in the ground on helping people around their electricity plan, mm -hmm. but lo love to hear that. 
Yeah, Man, that was awesome to hear. I yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. I, I would like watching the video. I was just like, I, I know this. I know wow. this a hundred percent. And wow. yeah, I, I, that was it. Yeah, my my old training partner. He he looked at Energy Ogre because he was getting totally gouged on his electricity bill. <laughs> he was about to squat like, somebody's house because he was so yeah. pissed. Yeah, and he's just like, I friggin' paid. I don't know how much it was. I, I remember whatever, whatever number he said, it was like everyone in the room was like, how much did you just pay? <laughs> wow. Like granted, Midland, Texas summer, you know, it's like, you know, over, over triple digits, like, right. You know, 15 to 20 days out of the month, but like, yeah, still like, it was absurd. What, so what is like the, the challenge, I guess, is kind of running the business. Is it, is it getting people to really sit down and, and tell you kind of how they use their energy and, and, understanding what their their needs are how do how do you you know what's the challenges or you know i don't know what's interesting about the business yeah so no i mean that's a great question so i'll tell you what the biggest challenge that i can think of so far is like when we first got started no one ever helped anybody as their agent buy electricity like it just wasn't a thing so you're providing a service that nobody's ever heard of before it's like um, you've heard of a stockbroker that's going to help you with your investments and they yeah. just take care of it for you. Of course, mm -hmm. people are now much more educated. Resources are you know, people are using full service brokers anymore. Yeah, just but, uh, read it. It's the same kind of thing. You're turning over to a fiduciary, someone to handle these things for you. Just no one had, no one had ever done it before. And so people are just, you know, just didn't understand what, what, what we were doing. And so, so we were providing a service nobody had ever heard of before. Um, you know, we didn't have any brand recognition as Energy Ogre. And then, you know, to step in as a fiduciary for you, we got to collect a bunch of personal information about you to help administer your your needs. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I'm sure more than a few people thought that they might have been talking to some Nigerian prince somewhere or something. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it was a, it was a slow, slow uh, way to get started. But, you mm -hmm. know, the good news is, is, so many people uh, can use so much help. You know, the, the, we were able to help uh, save so much money for people that they just didn't understand it. You know, like there's a lot of people that still think that, um, you know, one of the local providers here in Houston is the utility and everybody else is a middleman or something like that, which mm -hmm. is just totally not true. So there's a lot of misinformation. Uh, you know, people obviously get concerned about monkeying with their electricity service. So some people don't want to mess with it, wow. uh, but they don't really realize that they're paying, you know, tw twice what they should or, you know, 30, 40% more than yeah. what they should. So Amazing. Um, you have those stats. You have the ability to contact people and just talk to them logically about the situation. And look, I'm just here to educate and let you know you probably can get some savings if you're, if you're interested. And I mean, how many people you do a hundred of those calls? I think there's high probability at a, a greater, you know, number of people would be like, I'm interested, you know, I'm interested. I, I didn't even know this existed. Right. And now, right. I, I mean, the sales they speak for themselves, right? I mean, you guys, you guys are doing good, yeah. huh? Yeah. Well, you know, personally, I'm not a social media person, so you probably won't find me anywhere, not even on LinkedIn, but I will <laughs> say that social media has been great for us because what it's allowed our customers to share their experiences with their friends and families and neighbors and so that's really where our business right has, all, has all grown. It's all been word of mouth, um, yeah. you know, for the most part. So we, we found that if we mass market advertise, it just gets lost in the sea of all these electricity providers promising stuff that they 
you know, all over the place and people have kind of started to tune out on that. But, you know, you're right. If I can get uh, someone's attention uh, for 30, 30 seconds, two minutes, yeah. or if I can direct them to my website with a bunch of free resources that they could do at their leisure to tell them, you don't have to let me do it, but let me show you where you are versus where you should be. And even if I'm not doing it for you, you need to do something. Um, so <laughs> that's cool. So that's kind of where we are. Yeah. I love the educational part of it. I think it's a, a heck of a business model. It sounds like you guys are, you know, knocking out of the park at, as you should be. Uh, so we're rooting for you, man. That's awesome. I'll definitely stay in touch with Energy Ogre. I don't know if I can do anything with my oil and gas lease down there, but I need all the help I can get. <laughs> I wish I could. If you're behind uh, Public Service San Antonio uh, uh-huh. or CPS, City Public Service, I they're not in the competitive area. So they're, they're one of the holdouts, holdout areas, but yeah, that's you get right some stuff elsewhere. Let me know. I'll, I'll hook you up. I promise. <laughs> right <laughs> on, right on. Well, I think that was the, uh, the end of the completion part of this show, man. What do you think skips? I think so. I think that was a great way to wrap it up, man. Jason, thank you. I hope I didn't bore you or your audience uh, too much with any of the technical stuff. I mm. tried to stay away from the weeds on that, yeah. but there, the, the interest is there for sure. I mean, how could oh, it yeah. not be? How could it not be? You're better understanding the, the whole, I, I had no idea about any of that stuff. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. What, and it's an anomaly kind of in the whole state. So, I mean, I think it's, it's really interesting at all levels, you know, what you're doing and what you actually know, your knowledge base mm-hmm. of, of what's going on here. I think that's very unfamiliar. So that's. I got that's, really lucky because, you know, I started on the wholesale side. So I was running our trading business uh, 100 million years ago. I was at Dynagy, or the predecessor company to Dynagy. And, you know, we were one of the larger energy merchant companies. And so I had trading in Texas, day ahead. And then I got, you know, control of all the South and Southeast trading desk. And then eventually uh-huh. we got fuels had our power plants about you know half of our power generation i had under my uh direct purview so i was really kind of a wholesale person and retail is never on my radar screen but when i started the the next company the one before this one um when we started managing third parties assets we had all these little small retail electricity providers that started mm-hmm. and uh you know those guys some of them are great salespeople but they didn't understand uh, how to how to procure efficiently their wholesale power. They didn't really were, uh, weren't great about projecting their demands. You know, forecasting their own demand. Like the question you all asked me earlier, like how do they how do you do that? Yeah, they weren't very good at it. Um, and, and so there just weren't wholesale subject matter experts. And so we started you know bringing some of those tools because. Honestly, managing wholesale load is the opposite side of the coin of managing power generation. It's the same thing. They work hand in glove. And uh, over the years, we, we just ended up getting more and more involved in the retail business, such, so much so that we, got, you know, we started owning them. We started owning some of these retail electricity providers. And so I got, I got a really good amount of insight on, on that side of the business. And, you know, and it, honestly, the things that I didn't kind of like and the things I think that were real impediments for uh, some retailers, you know, uh, those are the kinds of things I wanted to solve for. And that's exactly why I built Energy Ogre. So how do I, how do I fix the, how do I fix the problems that I'm seeing in the retail business from a consumer's perspective? And, uh, you know, that's, that's why we did this. So, yeah. And the good news is that the, at the high level, um, it all works the same. So the stuff that we're talking about, the way the wholesale market works or how power plants go up and down, 
that's just as true in Boston as it is in Boca Raton, and it's just as true in San Diego, wow. you know, as it is, uh, you know, in uh, in Matt Destache's uh, new <laughs> new new hometown area in, uh, outside of Denver. So, where can I start? Where can I start buying stock in Energy Ogre? <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. We're still. Uh, I still enjoyed the anonymity of being a small family-owned company. Heck so, but yeah. you know, I'll, I'll get you on board. So, man, if all the states start unregulating <laughs> and and all of a sudden the people got a lot more edu- you know, I think you fill a huge niche and a huge hole that needs to be. Well, we're trying. You know, we're really focused on the demand management, demand uh, response side, because that doesn't matter if you're in a regulated or a deregulated area. Wow. I think there's uh, some real value associated with that. So that's getting pretty much my full attention right over on. energy over these days. Right on, Jessen. Thank you for joining us. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, me too. Tons of fun. See you, Skips. Next one. See you later. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs>